is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Check your basement and your bathroom. Keep off the street and try to hide. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shan, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tejada. Let's go! Hey, I'm Spider. I'm Trevor. I'm Lauren. Hey, I'm Leo. I'm Leo! <laughs> <laughs> that was, I think we harmonized there. Yeah. Welcome to episode 74. All right, this week, Tobias Forge of the band Ghost. Yeah! Woo-hoo! He talks about the horror movies that influence him, the music that entranced him, the world building of the group, and pancakes. They're out on the ultimate tour named Death across North America throughout the fall, then on to Europe. Then we hang out with Aurora. She is a home haunter and entrepreneur in the SoCal area who created Murder House Productions. Her trick-or-treat movie-themed haunt scared up an insane amount of attention during the 2017 haunt season. She's here to talk to us about her fascinating process and her latest adventure that you can take part in called Windigo. If you're listening to this at time of release, open select nights from Wednesday. October 16th. And we're joined by our special guest co-host from the band Power Man 5000, creator, renaissance man, uh, beautiful man. Beautiful, <laughs> man. Generally beautiful all the way around. <laughs> Spider One. Yeah. Woo! Try a little harder with that intro. <laughs> well, I didn't have enough time. Yeah. Usually I'll sit and I'll contemplate and think about something worthy to say. Yeah, but now it would just be awkward if you gave me, like, your normal <laughs> introduction. <laughs> Maybe I can leave the room. Yeah. <laughs> just We're just neighbors, basically, at this point. Yeah, right? exactly, yeah. at this point, yeah. We are neighbors. What's going on with Power Man? You know, just being a band and doing stuff. And Now, we're, uh, we're finishing up a new record now, hitting the road in October for our... Days of Disorder tour. Yeah. How long is the tour? Just a month, four weeks, and, uh, you know, just the States, and uh, hopefully get back and put the new record out early next year, and just keep doing it until I can't do it anymore. How are the new tracks sounding? This, you know what? I'm glad you asked, because they are brilliant. <laughs> Did I need to ask? No, really? they are. You know, it's, I'm not one to uh, always say, like, oh, our new record's our greatest the greatest one we've ever done. But uh, I do, there's something about these grouper songs that's, I think think they're really cool i feel like we're making this record that's super unique but we won't get credit for it because we're power man 5000 oh <laughs> you know I mean? what do you mean no but i mean because there's always like a you know there's always a people have these preconceived ideas of what you are who you are what you should be doing what you shouldn't be doing but i think this is a really cool record and it's it leans a little more electronic and uh almost like 80s dark wave ish that's cool. yeah it's some cool influences on it and um like the whereas the last record was like really kind of screamy and um rough you know this one's a almost the other side of just like more controlled i guess but huh. just really fun. melodic too i mean a little bit no there's like some more more like almost like rap stuff on it but then there's more song almost reminds me of like a 80s dark wave band you know i'm trying to think of it in a reference point but i don't know it's unique it, it draws from a different some other uh influences that we haven't done yet i think it's cool i think it's pretty exciting like sonically it's got like a little a lot of weird sounds and not super guitar heavy it's different 
I could fire the whole band and start over. That is the plan. <laughs> fire up the laptop. Are you going to be performing any of the, like road testing any of those tracks uh, too probably, on the tour? Yeah, well, on the last couple of runs, we've been playing a new song. This song called Play God or Play Dead. And so we've been doing that one, which has been going over really cool. And it's weird because it's a, it's kind of like a almost mellowish vibey song more than a, like a hitting over the head kind of song. And then uh, we might try to sneak at least one new one in there in addition to that. Get your tickets for that. And where, where, wait, where's the show going to be going? All over the States. Dates are up on all the usual places and Facebooks and Instagrams and stuff like that. But it's just basically goes all the way to the East Coast. I think we go as far East as maybe like New Hampshire or something. So everywhere. Nope. I think we're about to be visited by a Cardinal. This is Tobias from Ghost and you are being bewitched by another episode of the Boo Crew. Welcome aboard. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew in the Speakeasy studio is a singer, songwriter, and musician who's behind perhaps the most evolved and detailed creative movement in the history of recorded music. Blurring the lines between what's real and what's legend, enveloping his work in mystique, peering beyond a veil that can only be described as pure magic. The proof is in the pudding. They've earned countless accolades, including three Swedish music awards, breakthrough band at Metal Hammer's Golden Gods, Loudwire, three nominations, and a win at the Grammys, shows and festival appearances all over the world. You can see them on a stint across North America throughout the fall for the ultimate tour named Death. Their latest album, Prequel, is available everywhere now. We are incredibly honored to welcome Tobias Forge from the band Ghost. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And thank you for reading that. Those intros. I wrote it myself. Yeah, exactly. Right. Is that really me? I really try to push it to get it into Wikipedia, but they keep like asking for like... So I, yeah, but we're okay. Yeah, Trevor, I've I've heard some of you know your intros, and yeah, that yeah. was beyond. Hey, he is so simply gone in the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. did I mention how handsome he is? <laughs> he is very handsome. Yeah. Well, thank you guys. From the dark theatrics, lyrical themes, and cinematic sound of Ghost, there is certainly a strong element of the horror genre in the DNA of the band. Songs about zombie queen. Lucifer, psychic powers. What are your first memories of being impacted by horror cinema? The first films I remember seeing were Shud. Wow. <laughs> and Funhouse. Yes. Ooh, I love Toby Funhouse. Hooper, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, I guess it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. The reason why it's a little bit hazy is because most of my first cinematic experiences, let's say the first 200 were in the comforts of my own home with my brother or and my mother and i just remember shud being one that he rented with he had his friends over and or at least what i remember we you know he was 13 years older than i was so everything was there was a lot of teenagers around this must have been before because i remember it was in in an apartment that we moved away from in 1984. It must have been like 1984 or something like that. And I remember that film. I thought it was very scary. I remember Funhouse being around the same time. And I remember that as being very, very frightening. Especially like there's a scene where this clown machine... <laughs> sort of rolls out from the shadows and has a body and like laying in its lap. In my head, that was way more scary than I found it later when I saw it again. And honestly, I think shot is a piece of crap. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say, I see the title, but I don't 
I don't know what was it's an abbreviation, I guess. It was, yeah. There's it's, like it's in a the sewers whole, and stuff. So like uh, um, at least the current like releases of it, and all the ones that I've seen, there's like a street with a manhole and a hand, sort of, or some some yeah. sort of organism coming up underneath the lid, and like some little. Yeah, I can see like it. the VHS cover yeah but i don't know if yeah the cinematic release was very limited (laughs) (laughs) what were some of the films that you discovered later that would make up the i don't know the vernacular of what would become the aesthetics for ghost was there anything that inspired that visually that you that you watched oh i mean countless if if we just want to specifically go into horror films that inspired me and that meant a lot to me it's everything from films from the ones that i hold with very high regard that i find to be well crafted good cinematic films shining mm. alien silence of the lambs jaws like real films to films that are ness i wouldn't say it not good but that are more entertaining that has other qualities than being high horse cinema <laughs> you know? <laughs> having uh, spent a lot of time seeing um, uh, many of these films i've they have in one way or another inspired me to do what i do but that might be musically or just the air around them i mean i know a ton of films that i cannot say that they are good but I like them. You know, I like the feeling of them. I definitely think that it's important for the sake of argument to sort of draw a few lines in the sand saying like, these are real films. As I said, the ones like Exorcist, Omen, the real ones that Shining made by real directors. And then you have like countless slasher movies and the third and or the fourth version of the Italian classics that are just laughable but then you have like Lucci Fulci's like the originals they are fantastic but I wouldn't put them next to Jaws they are just two different things but again it's also a, a genre that is uh, sort of fueled by a nerdery that I guess drama does not have or, or other film genres I think that most of us can sort of agree that film X or Y we love them even if it's not good they bring so much else to the table I and mean that is where horror movies not just horror movies but genre movies horror sci-fi I think have a lot in common with rock and particularly metal punk rock is that what you're saying I think is that something doesn't necessarily have to be great to be great mm. right and music is like that yeah you know, there are certain rules in classical music, let's say. If you don't play it this way, it's wrong. <laughs> yeah. But right. there's no wrong in rock. And there's no wrong in genre sometimes because you just connect with it. It doesn't have to be the greatest movie. It doesn't have to be filmed. You know, it doesn't have to be played out artfully, but you can still connect with it somehow and love it. And it somehow speaks to you. And that's ultimately what matters most, right? Absolutely. I think that one thing that metal is in broad strokes has in common with horror in broad strokes is that unfortunately it is also both of the phenomenon's weaknesses is that since its inception all the decades of love having been injected into the genres have spawned new generations of makers of films and of music that essentially grew up digesting only that and the problem then becomes that someone who's uh, like, like let's say my age now and is a filmmaker are essentially a regurgitated horror so it like a lot of the elements and a lot of the details the fine tuning that made the classics so good that's not part of it because essentially the filmmakers are special effects people who right. just wants to make special effects and dialogue and story that's not really important it's just as long as it's a hundred jump scares in there and I really don't like that I am not a fan of 99% of the horror films that are being made the last 
25 yeah. years. Well, I think you make a good point. The movies you mentioned as your favorites are like all my favorite movies. So the fact that you mentioned Jaws twice, yeah. it's like, you know, okay, greatest <laughs> movie ever made. Let's just say that right now. But I know what you're saying is that, so like what can tend to happen, music in particular, I always like to say there'll be an initial scene or initial sound or, you know, whether it's the Seattle grunge or the original punk rock explosion in the late 70s and what happens over time, oddly enough, is what was best about it gets removed and the shit that didn't matter remains. In other words, like, right. you know what I mean? Like you started out, like, it's almost like bands will emulate the sound of like Alice in Chains, but they forgot the heroin. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> right. Or like, they'll, or like punk rock band, you know, like they'll have the, emulate the sound of yeah. punk rock, but they're talking about going on a date as opposed to political or social or, you know, where's the fucking anger? And so I think it's exactly right with, with film. It's like, they, it's weird. Like a lot of filmmakers will, they'll latch onto the bad stuff or the stuff, not the bad stuff, but the stuff that didn't make the movies great. Like the easy stuff. Like, I think we can argue that the shark didn't make Jaws great. Right. No. It was those three guys on that fucking boat that made Jaws great. Right. Right. Absolutely. The shark was an amazing bonus. But if you're watching Jaws, you're not necessarily waiting for the shark. Because you're so in love with these three guys, you know, that you're okay to just hang in a conversation with them on the boat. If you compare it to rock again, it's like, and if you compare it to uh, just because we were here in, uh, in LA, we can talk about Van Halen. Van Halen was great, but it spawned a million really terrible bands. <laughs> really. <laughs> well, it, it spawned a lot of people that wanted to be guitar heroes that copied Eddie Van Halen. Some of them were fantastic. He has inspired so many people to become really, really good at playing guitar. And, you know, the rest of the band also like inspired their drummers and, and singers, of course, and, and bass players, I guess, to a certain degree. But if you put him in a position at, at where he would be the special effects guy, what we're talking about is like all the people that watch the Van Halen film would just pick up on the special effects that Adam Van Halen did and then just try to do a lot of films were just filled with special effects. Then they totally forget the fact that it, they really had songs. Yeah, songs. And there was such an authenticity to those guys yes. that just throwing on some spandex and playing as many notes as possible did not emulate. That's not authenticness. You know, that's just, yeah. And unfortunately, like a majority, if you take the total of all the records that were made on the wave or the tail following Van Halen, the majority of that is just guys that dressed up and just played a million notes and tried to be that, but had no songs. So, and I, I think that that's the problem with in total, a lot of the horror being made because there are so many peddlers out there that essentially just wants to do the, the, the effect stuff and then, then forget about. A lot of the films that I like the most have very few jump scares and actually a few kills. Well, I would argue like, too that probably some of the best films that we think of as horror probably were not made by people who gave a shit about horror. No. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? True. No, that that, that, that is know. true. Kubrick. Uh, uh, yeah. It wasn't a horror that. movie no, guy. No, he was going to make one yeah. and he did that. Yeah, you find this, this scenario in horror. It's funny, there's so many parallels in music as well, is that you have these guys who now come up from the horror community. They have websites or they have whatever, you know, they're and they're so concerned about the horror community that they just get in their own way, right? It's kind of like guys who make these superhero movies. So it's like, oh my God, it's way... Are they going to be upset if we change the costume? It's like, just make the fucking movie. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with music. You know, if you can eliminate being concerned with what anybody's going to think, you're going to come up with, you know, the crap bands are the ones that are sitting like, fuck, well, if we do this and then no one's going to like that. And if we, there's so many parallels between, I mean, creating anything in general is 
Yes. But every now and then, I think that like over the years, even though a lot of the the films that I would hold with with highest regard were made back in time, there were a few movements that I really, really enjoyed. Actually, to contradict what I just said about the twenty five years of horror being like latest being shit, I was really impressed when the uh, Japanese films started coming. You know, yeah. the, the, the rings and all that. They were terrifying in a way that I had never really experienced before. Even though I had seen Akira Kurosawa films and I, I had seen like Japanese cinema before, but th- that was definitely like a new taste compared to like grunge, I guess. Like it just all of a sudden there was like a new film on the shelf. Like, oh, what's this? And, and this and this and all of a sudden you had audition and you had that and you had the grudge and like there were several films that sort of felt like they were sort of from a scene and another movement i i've i was i have been very impressed with is basically guillermo del toro's Mm -hmm. legacy beautiful movies he makes especially as a grown-up as a parent i think that his films are they just grab you by the heart and stabs it and then make you cry and thanking you for it in the end like oh, thank you yeah because it's, because <laughs> yeah. it's like dark fairy tales really yeah, but, but it, it's kind of funny because every time i've seen anything that he sort of touched either it's his film or it, he has been part of the production or produced it it always has that sort of last real tear jerking warm ending where it's like the monster was right y'all <laughs> you understand he she got her vengeance now yeah. now everything is corrected and you're like yes it's, it's really so correct. right i love it I love you. Pan's Labyrinth is one of those. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Shape of or Water. Fanato. Shape of Water, yeah. Shape of Water, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I love that. When he that clearly stuff. is a guy. That, have you interviewed no, him? No, I haven't no. had the opportunity. I had a chance to meet him once, but he... <laughs> There is no bullshit level of that guy. He loves his world so much. You know what I mean? It's just like you could just tell how honest he is about it. And the fact that he won an Oscar and was talking about monsters. Was amazing. You know, was, you know, He's also clearly a parent. Yeah. Yes. I mean, like you, you can tell that he pushes all the buttons as a parent. Like, oh, your kid mm, dies. All right. Here. And then you, you have to find him, her. Like, <laughs> it's like so psychotic. But the light at the end of the tunnel every time you see that film is that you know usually that one and a half hour from now everything's going to be great. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. I want to go to um, music because music there was a time pre-internet especially I remember that music could be really scary. Mm. There was a mystique of a band trapped in a record, basically, that you couldn't really access through the internet. The bands were in charge of their own narrative, and it was a little scary, especially some of the metal stuff. I remember sitting in front of a speaker wondering if the band lived inside the speaker, and I think Ghost is one of the, God, the only band I could think of now that's bringing that feeling back. There was definitely like a, this ominous vibe that I got from countless bands where the imagination could just like expand a lot of the stuff that i got into when i just started poking around in the extreme metal it went very fast all of a sudden it opened up and i you know you went to the record store like found this section like wow i was aware of some of it before because of my brother and we had a friend of the family that was 10 years older than i was and he, he liked creator and king diamond and merciful fade and stuff like that so i knew about that so that was sort of like i recognized those things but when I got into death metal and black metal, that was just phenomenal. Like creator, I could at least, I used to buy or ask my mother to buy occasionally Metal Hammer and Kerrang, I guess as well. But Metal Hammer, because of the posters, 
I just asked her, like, please, 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 can I get that one? And it, it, sometimes it was the German one I can read, or sometimes it was the English one that I could not read. I looked at the photos, and I had the posters on my walls because I liked the bands. And I some bands, I didn't even know what they sounded like. But then I asked my brother or the friend of the family, like, what's this? I spent a lot of time in my imaginary world in this sort of heavy metal universe. But as soon as you found, as extreme metal came in, there was a, just a big blank unknown. I would find a record with like Blasphemy, The Fallen Angel of Doom. There was no info about that band ever. You could only look at the front cover. It had the devil standing with like a shooting a, a, an arrow yeah. in the sky. You turn it around and it was this sort of weird band that had one guy was, he looked like he was about to kill someone. That was one picture. And then on another picture, there was this other guy who looked absolutely like a skinhead, like a white supremacy skinhead. Just that was just seeing them them two together was just like they looked like they were going to meet each other and kill each other. That alone sort of immediately attracted, got me very sort of sucked into it. And then you put the music on. It was just like black metal noise. I sat with question marks for years over that record. Now you can find out anything. That's, I mean, yeah. you have if, if you, you know, Google blasphemy and you, you find anything. But that this was a, in 93, 94. It was just like you, there was nothing to be read about that band. Yeah. I mean, do you miss that time? Oh, when you, oh yeah. every day. I mean, I, I know exactly. I cry myself you, to sleep. Just the, you would get a record and maybe there was one photo of the band. But think of how, if you, maybe a year later you got to see them in concert, like you've just been looking at this one photo for a year, just like imagine, well, who are these guys? And you're knowing nothing about them, which will lead me to the question about masks and things that may be part of trying to keep that mystique, right? But but yeah, now it's like, it's like, hey guys, uh, make sure you sign up for a VIP, blah, blah, blah. And everybody just seems so incredibly lame. Mm. And, you know, and those guys that we didn't know about were probably incredibly lame too, but we just didn't know it. You know, I don't want to know that the band I thought was cool is like on the bus playing PlayStation. Yeah. You know, like, I don't want to know <laughs> exactly. that. Like, no. I just want to think they live in a spaceship somewhere yeah. you know and like and that's what you thought when you were a kid yeah it's you know? crazy like scarlet knows what billy eilish is doing every yeah, five she had minutes. for breakfast right exactly. yeah, it's crazy that she has that which is I, I suppose you could be you know argue that there's some advantages to that and there is a cool element to that that there is this interaction blah 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 but man i wonder if you're ever going to get another david bowie in this climate because you just know so much about everybody all the time and it's hard to create something. The problem is nowadays, and even if I go back to the mid nineties, is that it defies what I'm looking for, the experience that I want to have when it comes to sort of clandestine bands and, and culture. Unfortunately, it sort of defies the idea of being a band and, and becoming bigger. And basically in 1995, that's when I started not liking contemporary extreme metal anymore. One was because new metal came. I absolutely hated that. <laughs> that was like, I wouldn't have any of it. And also what happened with most of the bands that came out in the, the early 90s was that all of a sudden they were two, three records into their careers and the music business sort of catched on to them. So all of a sudden they went from this little label to signing to Nuclear Blast or like a bigger label. And all of a sudden there were tons of pictures of them. And all of a sudden they could afford real makeup and they had like real set photo sessions with white backgrounds and you could see what they looked like and they started touring like whack, vomit. I really did not like that at all. I preferred when it was black and white 
18 year old standing in the back porch or as blasphemy like on standing on to blasphemy's credit though i must say that apart from like a tour here and there i, I remember they toured in europe and they played like close to me in 93 they did a tour with gore guts apart from that they never really ruined it they're but still they're you, still cool <laughs> you, you want your favorite bands to be unsuccessful so they're still cool <laughs> that's why i can completely understand why people hate my band but there is <laughs> no but there is that thing that happens that any band that goes on to any level of success, ultimately, everyone that was there with you in the clubs in the early days, like, they just hate you now. And there's another, there's this sort of perception that, well, you, the label's making them wear that now. Like all this, like you have no that's, idea. That, that's what it. You know, they that, don't that, know it. that you've made your own choices and you've done, well, not everybody does. I'm sure there are people that are, you run into that. You get this sort of weird backlash of it's not cool anymore, even though it's exactly the same people with the same exact brains making the yeah. same music. but. But now that other people are in on the club, it's not as cool. But the thing is that I, you have to remember, and this is what I completely buy as well, is that everyone is just trying to do the best they can. Oh, in terms I agree. of bands or, or films oh, or whatever. And, and, and what happened back in 94, 95, 96 was that all of a sudden one studio got better at recording and, and bought a new trig system or whatever. And the budget got better. So all the Swedish bands, for example, and Norwegian bands went to the same studio like they did before. But it was just the fact that the studio that they all went to before was not as technically advanced. Mm -hmm. So it just made that sound. And, and once they got into the new studio and, and learned how to triple dub guitars they just try to do the best they could and just didn't like it sometimes you just also have to realize as a fan or like as a spectator that i just don't feel like that i just don't get it it's not wrong it's just that i don't like it no i agree with you 100 i think as you get older and the more you actually do in your life you start criticizing less because i agree i, I would always get what people say oh, they only, you know everybody they try to make one good song and the rest is crap and no they didn't no of course not i don't know any band that's ever gone in to make it out well you know what guys totally phone it in let's have a meeting <laughs> let's one good song the rest can be crap and no one will care it's like that doesn't happen it doesn't happen you know it's like and then suddenly like well cds were rip off because bands only made one good song. no they didn't you know it's oh. just such a weird thing that people think i must say though and this is another me sitting here being telling how it is. But, <laughs> but I, I think and, and now history, at least in my point of view, has, has really proven that there was a shift around 1991 or something like that when CD became the norm, where music as a general just sort of started declining quality wise because before CD was the norm, there was a time constraint. So you had to keep your music, your crafted record within the limits of 45 minutes, basically. 46 minutes or something like that. It's 23 minutes per side. And if you went beyond that, you have to like contemplate, oh, is this is a double record? Okay, shit, we have to like book twice as much time. That's why double albums in the past was like a big thing. Or nowadays, last 20, almost 30 years, there's no real limit. It was like 77 minutes. Yeah, 18 and, songs and just... Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the problem is that nowadays, as people have still not caught up on that little detail, even though vinyl is the norm now, as opposed to CDs, norm, like uh, most records are made for vinyl. What is not sold as a double album, when you find the album now, it's still like two or three vinyls in there. And it's like one song on one side and two songs on another and two songs and three songs and one song and three. And it's just like endless. I think that the uh, quality control sort of went down because of the non-limitation. Yeah. Whereas I think that if there was like one tip, 
I think that's one changing I would, now, I would say to most people is like, keep it 45 minutes. Oh, I keep agree. It within the that. Best records are 35 minutes and you want to listen to it twice. Yeah. You know, but I think that now because streaming is the only way people get music, it seems to me like people are making shorter records, shorter songs. If there's anything that's come out of that, that's positive is possibly that, that people are more like, oh, fuck it. Like no one's going to listen to all of them anyway. So why don't I just do this? And I can make this song be a minute long. And whereas before I think there was this really like, got to sit and make an need album. 18 songs and they all have to be three and a half minutes and they have to be this and it has to, you know, get to the chorus quickly. And I feel like that's changing a bit. I think people are getting a little more adventurous or making shorter records. Do you see that? Maybe they are. I'm not sure. I'm, yeah. I'm hopefully. Yeah. I hope to tell the story of ghost and to do what you have done in the internet age where there is that veil of mystique that isn't there as much. The internet, has it given you a new set of tools as opposed to a hindrance? Has it become an advantage in ways to spread the story of Ghost? I cannot say anything else because originally Ghost broke on MySpace. Had it not been for MySpace, who knows what would have happened. It was the massive traffic going to onto MySpace that, that, that sort of turned it into an overnight success, even though it was obviously just a few thousand people, but it was a lot of instrumental people within those thousands that started talking about it very warmly, very quickly. And that would have been hard to achieve if it was a thousand people scattered around the world. That would have been the equivalent of, of tape trading, I guess, back in, the, in back in the days, but it would have still been slower. Internet has definitely been instrumental for what, it, what I do. Was the whole narrative of Ghost, what state was it in when the MySpace page and everything was up, did you have the look of everything down already? Did you know exactly what this was going to be? Or did it evolve from the in opportunities the of that 2010, arose? more specifically, on in March 12, 2010, when the songs were published, most of the first record was not recorded as in the master recording. Most of the songs were recorded on like demo versions that I recorded in 2008, the major bulk of them. So I knew basically what the first record was going to be like. That was the plan all along. Like, I'm going to make a record. It's going to be called Opus Eponymous and it's going to be this. And then there was like drawings of the skeletal pulp, sort of the ghouls were. I had a few referential pictures, one from uh, some horror film with some watchmen sort of monks. The name of that film escapes me now, but that was like a reference I wanted the band to look originally like really originally like 2006 7 when it was very early on the idea was for the whole band to be faceless and there was going to be no referential point whatsoever but that quickly and when i started thinking about it like you, you still need some sort of toastmaster that sort of guides you through it I, there needs to be someone that being there but but still i, I wanted the band and, and everyone on stage to be even though you, you could sort of look into the at least the one working eye of the headmaster pope figure i wanted everything else to be kind of faceless so it felt like theater. I wanted it to feel the same way that it, when I went to see Cats or, or your own imagination could spin and, and fill in the, the blanks, basically. Going on tour and traveling, have you ever been anywhere that you think is haunted? No, but I've been to many, many places that I've been told was haunted. Do you believe in ghosts? I believe, I guess the short answer is yes. I think that there is a sort of supernatural scientific explanation to that. And I believe in the idea of energies being energized in material, in materia. So th therefore, older houses have more energies in the walls and more whispers, you know. And I believe that if you're of a certain 
kind, you, you have your radar on. But it's hard to define and hard to, to tell what is imagination and what is actually real. I mean, I don't know how many times I've come into a theater, especially in America, where there's been someone saying like, you know what, this place is haunted. <laughs> I've heard it. I mean, so many times. Almost every theater in America is haunted. <laughs> and there's always some janitor somewhere who did something. And I believe that the janitors do shit. Absolutely. And Definitely but, janitors. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I saw some stains that I guess were... <clears throat> Janitorial. <laughs> Janitorial stains. Is there a place that you like to go to dream up these ideas? Is there a certain room in your house? Is there a place where you'll just like to go and get inspired to sit and write and to plan out what's next for Ghost? No. Not really. Not not in my home. No, I don't have my home our home is uh filled with stuff. We live in a in a, in a relatively small apartment actually and it, it's filled with records and books and stuff and posters and toys and shit. <laughs> so I'm looking for, we're all looking forward to one day sort of move to a bigger place where I wish I had like more like a designated sort of place. I write and I get inspired in driving and in the showers and waiting. That's what I've always done. Throughout many years of my teenage years, me and my mom lived in very suburban Stockholm. The 40 minutes it took with the subway from where I lived into town, I've read so much there and I've come up with so many ideas. I still think that I'm sort of plowing through ideas that I had just sitting there being bored. As much as I like listening to music, like I never walk around listening to music on headphones. That's also like a control issue. I need to know what's going on around me. I would never like put on headbuds and just go walking through town because then I can't fucking hear anything. Yeah. <laughs> I need to know if people are coming or if a car is honking or anything. I've never done that because I hear music all the time. Every second that goes, it's like I hear there's always something going on. To my benefit and now, just because we've managed to find a way to utilize that. But before that, it was actually a problem. And sometimes it actually is a problem because it never stops. Sometimes it's also a little annoying. So you need to sort of knock yourself out in order to sort of turn it off. I mean, I ask because the creative output that you're bringing forth is insane. It's to an insane level. There's all those webisodes that tell the story. There's new characters constantly. There's the music. There's the look of the stage show that's constantly evolving. It never stops. And it's just, Most of it is not used. That's amazing. <laughs> Most of it just like goes around. Yeah, but that results in a lot of knee drumming and weird things that people around me need to sort of live with. Your vocal phrasing is very beautiful and it reminds me of the work of female vocalists, in particular the whimsy singers like Tori Amos, who I love. A song of yours like He Is, for instance, is a good example of that. What are your influences in terms of melody and is there anything that pulls you to take melody in a certain way? Actually, Tori Amos is a big influence for me because I've, I've spent a lot of time singing to her records. Oh my gosh, what's your favorite record? From a choir girl hotel. Oh yes, so good. And boys for Pele. Yes. I, I like songs from the earlier records as well, but they're not as, I think that especially from a choir girl hotel is a very cohesive record. And that's the one that I've spent most time listening to. And, and I, I know that record from start to finish. Have you seen her play live? Ugh, this is so annoying. Like when I first got into her in 96, 97, something like that, yeah. I fell immediately like the first song I heard, I, I'd heard Crucify, but I saw her on MTV, I think it was, must have been MTV. She did Blood Roses. Oh, gosh. And I was just like, who the F 
And with this? like the double piano playing, I just like I don't know yeah, how she straddles so that. When immediately bought Boys for Pele, all of a sudden she was one of my favorite artists at the time. And then I went down to Roskilde Festival, and this was in 1998. That was my first real abroad festival I went to. That list of bands that I was going to see at that that year was just insane. It was everything from like metal bands to like Black Sabbath reunion with Ozzy and all that. To, I saw Slayer there, and it was Iggy Pop and Misfits with Michael Graves. Shit, it was so much. I saw everything that year. And Tori Amos was also in there. But I thought seeing her that I'm going to see her like next year again, right? So I just saw like two songs. Oh. And then oh. I never saw her again. I mean, she's still around, but I, I never see her. I never, I am never at where she is, which yeah. is very, very annoying. I really hope and that was you on see. that tour as well. That's it was crazy. on the qu- from the Choir Girl Hotel tour. Oh. God damn. <laughs> Jackie Strength. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Raspberry Swirl. Uh. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, but I, I, I was very influenced by her vocals. I want you guys um, to do a song together. Oh, that'd be something. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, I guess she has done. I remember, like, when was that? She did one with the Ryan Adams, right? Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> on the Beekeeper, that was really a good. Fuck, I hadn't heard that record for quite a while, so I failed to remember. She's there was that one so really many. nice song on that record was uh, the Parasol. Yes, oh, that's so pretty. But that was not the Ryan Adams song. That was I don't remember. Ah, anyway, I love her. Unfortunately, it, it's hard to mention her without not saying Joni Mitchell yes. is because she also took a lot from Joni Mitchell. Kate Bush has also been very influential, not only like vocally, it's, it's she's sort of like above my she's like, I can't really do that stuff. Whereas Tori is a little bit within my range. It's easier for me to sort of sing uh-huh. with her. But musically, Kate Bush is obviously very proggy and that falls very much in my. Yeah. I love that. Another band just I, I just need to sort of flag for that that has actually been very instrumental to me that I love a lot and have definitely sung a lot to and has definitely influenced me is Bad Religion. Wow. Oh, that makes sense. With a lot of the harmonies that you get. Oh, yeah. You do. Yeah, absolutely. Very much so. That's one of those that people don't pick up on, but it is very, very Bad Religion. Chord wise and the way we phrase a lot of that is sort of Bad Religion. That comes from that. I'm just trying to come up with the things that people don't talk sure. about. Yeah, yeah exactly. No, um, exactly. What are the things that people relate your band to musically or otherwise that just drive you crazy? Like you just don't get it. <laughs> I, uh, I, I wouldn't say that I, it drives me mad or anything, but I think that very early on, in order for people to comprehend what goes was, they needed to sort of hang it on some sort of hook. What ended up happening was that it was always Blue Oyster Cult and Merciful Fate that was sort of mentioned. Merciful Fate and King Diamond has been a major influence on my life. I love Blue Oyster Cult, but that was definitely not like, oh, I want to have a band that sounds like Blue Oyster Cult. That is actually a coincidence. Much more Merciful Fate in that case. I want it goes to be like a 70s band that had never heard of 80s bands, like because it was the 70s. Right. <laughs> so it's, you know, I, I try to sort of put myself into a mind frame where imagine that the 80s haven't happened yet and you're creating metal, but you still want to make it. So you, you try to be Journey and, and Boston and, and, you know, AOR bands because mm-hmm. I really love sort of well-sung music. I like harmonizing. I like when it's tuned and played correctly and like Foreigner or Kansas. For a long time on, on MySpace that, you know, they, they had a little paragraph that said sounds like, and then you, you, you'd write what your band sounds like. And for a long time, it says like a devil worshiping Kansas. 
<laughs> that's what that's I wanted great. to sound like. You know, I've always wanted to write like "Carry On My Wayward Son." That's a, like, a, I mean, do I need to say that it's a fucking fantastic right, song? It's amazing. Like, no, that's what I try to do. But like, imagine them on a really bad trip. Your videos are eye candy to a horror nerd. Mm. I love the aesthetic of them. I love the film grain on them. How involved are you in those? Is that a part of your vision of Ghost? It is. But then it differs a little bit from video to video as to what level I can be hands on. Because at the end of the day, they have been sort of directed by someone else. And sometimes with me not being in the room, a disadvantage that we've had over the years that has worked out to our advantage. But from a making videos point of view is that we've been touring nonstop, which have led to sometimes videos being done in haste with, um, you know, being approved and sort of monitored from afar. If there's one thing that I've learned over the years is that I am quite anal. I have a specific vision and I, I am very, very antsy about getting that made in a certain way. And, and uh, I always joke about saying, and, and unfortunately, it's a half truth. All the things that you've ever seen us do, it's always like a lesser version of what I had in mind. Because of time and, and budgets and, and just the hasty nature of it. And what really annoys me is all the videos that we never made. Because I had video ideas for triple what we've done. And all of them are super ambitious and like would have taken 10 days to do. And that's what I had in mind. So whatever I see is always like, oh, <laughs> that was not what I had in mind. Even though the like the basics of it, it's like touching upon what, what was there. But that is not to say that they're bad. It's just like the, the things that I had in mind was is, is always more elaborate, more detailed and it has even more like symbolism and, and hints some of the people that i work with have been really good at picking those up like sev deans was very good at that or is very good at that i'm really looking forward to at some point being a little bit more hands-on and like having the time to do the videos the way that i i want to do them and is there still a plan to do a full-length ghost film at some point yeah there is a narrative that you might have picked up on that we have chosen to present in episodes that is part of a bigger narrative that we will at some point reveal to the world. It might not come in in a cinematic form just because that means making a real full-length film and that that is obviously then you're talking about something completely different. It might come in in um, some sort of paper form first that you can regard i did have one question uh, hopefully this makes sense or when the first time i saw you guys we had actually played a festival together and i'd heard the name of the band and i was like i'm gonna check this out and it was sort of like that in a very positive way like when a dog hears a sound it doesn't understand because i knew the <laughs> visual of the band but then i heard it and i was like oh this is not what i thought it was supposed to be at all and that was like a pleasant surprise which leads me to you know sort of like being a band, I think of like American rock bands as sort of being dumb and arrogant and British bands being humorous and self-deprecating. And is there a certain sensibility that coming from where you come from, that you think inherently comes through in what you do? Is there like a cultural or a social thing that makes Ghost 
unique. Does that make sense? Yeah, I yeah, no, I understand. Um, I understand the words you're saying, but I don't understand what the fuck you mean. <laughs> <laughs> I understand what you're saying. I think I understand what what you're saying. And uh, I'm trying to. Uh, I'm trying to think. I'm not sure. I I know a few things that I I think makes Ghost different from a lot of other bands. That has to do rather with my background in terms of I grew up with a significantly older brother who exposed me to punk rock and hard rock and pop music from day one. I mean, I've I've known a lot of bands and music for as long as I can remember, like Sex Pistols and Black Sabbath and Motorhead and, and The Damned and bands that he liked that I've grown to love. That influenced me a lot. And then my mother sort of gave me the whole 60s thing with everything from Bob Dylan, Janis Joplin, Beatles, Stones, Doors, Hendrix, all of that. And blues, like she, she when I was a kid, she always took me to the Jazz and Blues Festival in Stockholm. We saw BB King, like seen BB King twice when I was a kid, and and Ray Charles, and all kinds of stuff. And for as long as I've been writing music, it's always been mixing. Even when I wrote death metal songs, it was very influenced by Pink Floyd and Dead Kennedys and whatever, whatever I listened to, and that was everything from top forty pop to black metal. I know that why Ghost sounds the way it does is because I influenced by so many things, so many different things. And I, I and I think that that to, to revert back to what we spoke of about the regurgitation, the problem with many, I think, amateur directors and also make people making music is that they are so caught up in exactly the band that they want to be like that they just end up trying to copy that artist or that style. Usually that style is super defined and they only want to become that and they dress exactly like them and they want to be them and and, and it it becomes just so obvious that it doesn't really go anywhere. Which is sad because sometimes those persons, those musicians can be super talented, but having a talent to be able to play, it's not the same thing as being able to sort of harness that into making something productive but i don't know if that has to do with my background just my family background or it has genetically to do with the fact that i'm swedish i'm not sure i mean um i would say that there is um probably elements in my melody language that has to do with the fact that i come from sweden and and i grew up listening to a lot of swedish folk music and there's a certain melodic language that goes through swedish music that is very apparent in abba for example abba is very very swedish right it sounds like folk music People in the rest of the world don't understand that. Mm-hmm. But if you go to a midsummer, everyone knows that midsummer is like a huge Swedish thing. Mm-hmm. Now they know that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if you go to like a midsummer uh, evening uh, feast and they have like a folk band playing with fiddles and all that, they will play music that sounds very much like ABBA because it, that is Swedish folk music from the 1700s and 1800s and it is very, very melancholic and very sad and very like romantic. And I love that. So that sort of goes through what I what I do as well. But then again, I, I mean, I, I fucking I, I love a lot of the things that we spoke of. So yeah. and which also has that sort of so I, I, I'm not sure if it has if it's significantly Swedish. I'm not sure. I love Swedish pancakes. Like they're my favorite thing to eat. Like my yeah. aunt's Swedish and she's from Stockholm and she makes the most amazing Swedish pancakes. I could eat like 50 because they're so thin and delicious and I just love Swedish pancakes. <laughs> it is fantastic. Yeah. It's so good. I've grown to love American though. Yeah? Yeah. Really? First time I ate them, I 
thought it tasted like it was like a, a dish a dish towel a dish towel yeah it yeah. looked like a thick all right one yeah. of those yeah. that you'd find at the bottom of of the sink like, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> but then when i discovered the trick salt and pepper butter and syrup now we're talking <laughs> we really appreciate you coming here man seriously thank you for having me it's been an honor and pleasure that's been awesome man. yeah thank nice. you thank you so much Thank you, thank you, and thank you again for reading that. that, that, that. <laughs> can I get a copy of that? Is a check yeah, in the mail? Can I, no, can I get my copy back? Accidentally summoned the Boo Crew. Hope you enjoyed our chat with Tobias from Ghost and special guest co-host Spider from Power Man 5000. Follow him at Spider1 and at official Power Man 5000 on Instagram. They're on tour throughout North America now. Do not miss it. The Boo Crew. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh? Haunted attractions, conventions, and experiences. Cuts. <laughs> To the front of the line with Local Haunts. Joining the Boo Crew in the Speakeasy studio is one of the most acclaimed and youngest home haunters in the game. She is the creator of Murder House Productions out of Thousand Oaks, California. It was their walkthrough maze adaption of Michael Doherty's incredible Halloween anthology film Trick or Treat that turned absolutely everyone's heads back in 2017, earning praise as the best home haunt in Southern California. She's received international coverage on Dread Central. She's been featured on the nation's largest Halloween and horror convention, Midsummer Scream, both on the show floor with a maze and as a highlight speaker. She's worked with Sugarman Gallery in Pasadena, Evil Dead the Musical. A Murder House production experience is all about immaculate attention to detail, a supernatural skill of immersive storytelling in an inventive space, and a passion for the art of the scare that is absolutely infectious. She's back with a new maze called Wendigo, open throughout this haunt season, if you're listening to this at time of release, and find yourself in the SoCal area opening Wednesday, October 16th at 7 p.m. Here to tell us all about it is haunt icon Aurora. Oh my god, that introduction though. <laughs> I'm shook. Oh my god. Thank you guys for having me. Hey, we yes. are seriously, seriously so stoked. Cool. Yeah. Oh my god. I think it was like, I'm trying to think, we went to the trick-or-treat haunt. That was the first time we've experienced your work. We were at some other Halloween event somewhere in the city. We were sitting there and we were bored and we were looking at our phones. Oh my God, there's a trick or treat. We love the movie Trick or Treat. And we're like, oh my God, there's a trick or treat home haunt. Oh my God, it's a thousand. It's going to close in an hour. Okay, we're in Hollywood now. Can we get there in how long? 40 minutes? Okay, perfect. So we jumped in the car, (laughs) raced out there 15 minutes before the maze closed. True fans. Yeah, and we were like, oh my God, there was was a crowd there still. Yeah. and what we saw blew our minds. Oh my God. It was so amazing. That I mean, was the first one where a lot of people found us from Trick or Treat. Really? Yeah, that's cool. That was pretty much the start of like MHP. Wow. Yeah. Nice. And that got so much attention yeah. too. Oh my God. Because like once Midsummer Scream came to that and they shared it around, it was just like everyone was coming and like we got a bunch of followers. I was like, I didn't even know what Midsummer Scream was, like literally. And then they're like, we want you for the 
polished shadows and everything. And I'm just like, okay, (laughs) I guess so. I'm just doing this like little thing. I'm just, you know, a lowly home haunter. It was great. It was amazing. It was so fun. Oh my God. That was my favorite year. Oh yeah. They they came back. They were raving about it. And of course, like it was like towards the end of haunt season. Yeah, I think it was. I couldn't go. I'm so bummed. Did you go to Midsummer Screen? I did. That's where I saw the, you know, that that setup you had. Right. That was cool. The Midsummer Screen one was like a big improvement from the one, oh my gosh, at the house. So Midsummer Scream, as we were talking about, it's a haunt convention, basically, a Halloween and haunt convention. It happens out in Long Beach here in Southern California. And the Hall of Shadows, they'll have haunters go and build their mazes in kind of this big, empty convention Mm -hmm. floor. They had Aurora rebuild her trick-or-treat maze right? so people could actually go through it yeah. at the convention. Yeah, which, it's a magical event. That's so you know, cool. It's like, it's like these home haunts and pro haunts too now can just basically have their own like Halloween Horror Nights event right. yeah. where there's like thousands of people coming through and they have like an hour long wait. It really felt like Disneyland, like for haunters. Yeah. Oh, yeah totally. It was like really magical. I can't imagine setting that up, like moving it. I, yeah. How crazy is that? Oh, it was awful. Like I believe that I did not have a maze until it was set up at Midsummer Scream because we set it all up at home to test it all out and get the effects right train our scare actors. Then we took it down and drove all the way to Long Beach and then set it up in two days. <sighs> and like, I was, I was ju- the whole time I was like, even when it was complete in the garage, I was still just like, it's not even ha- going to happen. Cause I was so oh. sure that I couldn't set it up in like two days and wow. then take it down. You have to, Oh, well taking it down is even worse. Cause you have to take it down in like a few hours. Right. Everyone's After just trying to race out of there. Scream. Yeah. And that was just like, well, screw it. Tear it all down. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. But packing it up to go. Yeah. You have to make sure all the effects are like still like set in place. But you. Ch- oh, my God. Labeling everything. It was like my least favorite thing. I'm sure at some point you must <laughs> so have been stressful. like, is this worth it? Is it worth it? I know. There were so many moments where I was like, you know what? I feel like giving up because I'm <laughs> so tired. But I don't give up. Mm. That's right. right. And it was amazing. It was so cool. And it brought even more attention, right? To Murder House Productions. To Murder House Productions. I mean, we got noticed by, to me, which the biggest thing that I took from that event was meeting John Murdy and Mike Aiello. Oh my God. I was shook. I was like, girl. They are the creative directors of Halloween Horror Nights. Well, Mike Aiello, not anymore, unfortunately, but he's the head of creative in Orlando. And then the head of creative at Halloween Horror Nights in Hollywood came through my maze. I got to tour them through at Midsummer Scream. That was crazy. So the attention that I got from that was like all I needed, honestly. I could have stopped home haunting. Wow. Literally. And then they mentioned my name, actually at the Halloween Horror Nights panel at Midsummer Scream that same day that I met John Murdy and I was like did they just say my name like (laughs) they were even like what are you looking for or someone asked I think like what would you look for in like a future creative director you know and then they're like well we need someone passionate like Aurora from the Hall of Shadows and then I was just like what the that's amazing who am I what are you doing it was a crazy day (laughs) and then of course you beat them to doing a trick-or-treat maze right that was the craziest thing about it is like I had been planning it so far 
in advance before I knew that they were going to do one. And then the same thing happened with like Creepshow. That's right. Yeah. We were going to do Creepshow as a maze. But when they announced it, we were like, no, like we can't do the same theme. We have to keep it different for everyone. But then we did it at Terror Market. We did like a little dis- Creepshow display. You right. Because we'll do displays and like pop up events that our friends are involved with. That's really fun when I'm not focusing on a haunt. Yeah. Oh, God. Like trick or treat. I still am amazed at how you managed to recreate the best parts of that My movie. My favorite parts. You know what yeah. I mean? Right. Yeah. School bus massacre. And the, <gasps> yes. You know, all that. Exactly. <laughs> so good. And of course, my ideas are far more elaborate than what you actually see. That's <laughs> I think that's the thing with like every home haunt. You got to sacrifice a lot of your crazy ideas because money right. and, and time, honestly, because I'm doing it all alone pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Especially that one, the trick-or-treat haunt that was at my house that you guys came to. That was all me alone. After work, I would get home at like 3 a.m. from working like horror nights and just like go in the garage wow. and set wow. up like... Yeah, set up that rock quarry scene and the final scene with the blood on the walls. Oh my gosh, that trick or treat will always have such a special place in my heart because of that. So you're in there doing basically everything. As you said, you're making props, designing the set, writing the story, working on lighting, directing the actors. Yeah. All that stuff. Yep, pretty much all of it. The teams that they have at these horror events are like, yeah, exactly. Like everything you just labeled, that's all me. And of course, my co-creator, I guess, my best friend, Kyle, we do everything together, but it's mostly me fabricating everything myself. Yeah, costumes and all. And the story, too, when we do originals like Windigo, our most recent haunt that we're doing, that story and everything, yeah, all just created by me from the start. And planning is the worst thing for me. Like, I'm not the best at planning, but like I'll come up with some ideas and when I start to like build things, that's when I get my clarity for all my ideas and that's when I'm like, okay, this is the scene that I want now. I just kind of like just go. I feel like a lot of these haunt events are very, very structured and that's the nice thing about being a home haunter is you can literally change anything you want as you go. Story, characters, environments, it's freedom. It's great. How far in advance do you plan for next year? When do you start thinking okay, this is what I want to do? I'm always kind of thinking about what I want to do next. It usually doesn't happen until like a few weeks before we like announce it. Because I'm always changing my mind. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm always changing my mind. Oh, my God. The amount of themes that we had for this year. Uh, no. <laughs> I can't even count. We've had so many ideas. Like, we were this close to doing whatever. And then, no, it didn't happen. I was like, no, it needs to be easier. Like, I was going to spend money on creating, like, this Arctic research facility. Basically, like, the thing. Wow. Oh, that's cool. Um, and it was going to be, like, with Yeti characters and, and stuff. But. I was like, no, let's keep it easier and changed it all last minute. I had so many ideas, but we plan it literally like a year before. Usually, like I'm always like, what do I want to do next year? Do I even want to do a haunt? Do I want to take a break? Because it's so much work. I bet. The I stress bet. that I put on myself. Oh, my God. I need to know, though, what is your background in terms of building these things? Do you have a background in working with wood or structures or? No, none. 
Like How? literally all YouTube really? and friends that I've learned from other, other haunters. Y- you can't just build this thing and put it up and be like, hey, it looks cool. It's got to be safe. Yes. That, I'm, I'm sure if you right. take it to a haunt, it's got to be even safer. If you're, yeah, if you're doing a pro haunt, ooh, it has to be way safer. I got away with some like things at Midsummer Scream for sure. My panels that I set up my haunt with were not made properly. Request if you're listening, cover your ears. <laughs> <laughs> oh, girl, he's shook. <laughs> he was shook I know some other contractors would be shook But you know what It stayed up It was safe and sound yeah. Yes it oh was Oh my god The first haunt I did though Was out of cardboard <laughs> Cardboard In the garage Yeah literally Same garage Cardboard Everything Those trifolds that you get For like science Yeah, yeah. like birthday and presentations yeah. You stick at the science <laughs> fair Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I would tape three on top of each other and use it as like a wall panel. And I'm j- it's not any cheaper though. That's the thing. It's like no, literally those are so expensive. They are. I have to buy them for my kids and I'm like, "What? That's like $30? What the hell?" It is so like not any cheaper than wood, but I was so used to just working yeah. with cardboard. I used to do little plays in my parents' living room and I used cardboard as a backdrop. So I was like, "You know, what if I just like did a haunt?" Like that was the first time I did a haunt. I was like, "What if I just did a haunt? I have a bunch of cardboard. I might as well use it." And it it was like passable literally the evil dead haunt like she passed as a wooden wall like haunt what your first haunt was evil was dead evil dead actually wow. or oh, trick geez. or treat damn the year before it. you missed it it was based on the 2013 Evil Dead, oh, the though. That was yeah, really which good. is my favorite one. Get all that extra blood. <laughs> yeah, yes. exactly. <laughs> no, it was um, all out of cardboard, and not a lot of people knew unless you touched the walls or like saw it with the lights on. It was all cardboard. It was so easy, though, wow. to set up. Just tape. That's it. You know, tape and cardboard. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> well, moving forward to Trick or Treat again. Not yeah. to harp on it, but we just love Trick or Treat so much. The movie, actually. Oh, who does it? Like, what was it the first time you saw Trick or Treat? Did you fall in love? with that movie yeah like not really that's really like i liked the movie but it was never my favorite at all i don't know what sparked me to like do it as a haunt i think i just thought of like what halloween horror nights hasn't done before and then at the time i was like oh they haven't done trick-or-treat and there's a lot of good characters a lot of good environments and then just like in a second i was like oh i want to do that as a haunt and i kind of fell in love with the film more sure as i was doing it and i was stuck Studying the film, I was like, oh my God, it's still not one of my favorites, actually, which is weird, but it just has a really special place in my heart. It's so like, nostalgic. It reminds me of like Hocus Pocus. Yeah, you know? no, it does. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's oh really... my gosh, please do a Hocus Pocus. <laughs> I seriously want to. That, That'd be that, amazing. That was my favorite movie as a yes. child. Seriously. I like I would watch so that much. on repeat. Oh my gosh. I've oh. already watched it like 20 times this Halloween season. I need to watch it. I don't watch movies. <laughs> You're too busy. You're too busy I right know. now. I don't yeah. watch horror movies around this time of year. Although I am watching the creep show. The, the Shutter. Shutter. Yeah. yeah, it's really good. Oh, good. It. Yeah, it's so good. good. Obsessed with it, like as a fan of the originals, this is just everything for fans. Yeah. It is, it's really like meets the measure. I think. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. so good! I just wanted to know what your favorite movies are. The Notebook. No, yeah. yes, I love the Notebook. <laughs> my favorite movies are horror, like honestly, Evil Dead. Seriously, though, yeah. the 2013 that like got me into like that really gory horror, which I never could really stand before that. Like Saw 
can't. I can't. That's I can't. hard. Yeah. No, no. The like torture stuff yeah. that freaks yeah. me out. <laughs> Evil Dead. And it's definitely a lot of new horror movies. You know, I'm young. And so a lot of the classics, like I've really just gotten into recently, and they're really becoming my favorites. Like Creep Show. Nice. The Thing, Carrie, like those are seriously like some of my favorite movies ever. A lot of the ones with revenge are my favorites. I feel like when I started growing up in school and stuff, like I was really outcast, literally had like no friends. As dark and creepy as it sounds, like I would live vicariously, you know, through those horror characters sure, like right. Carrie. <laughs> LOL. Right. That sounds <laughs> demented. Um, Aren't we all? Right? Yeah. But I would live through like Carrie and like the slashers and stuff. And I just, oh, it would just it would just make me feel like I had a place like I felt special and I loved the theater of it the horror movies that have the most like drama theater mm, the drama of it all that's why I love horror going back to creep show for a sec do you have a favorite segment from one of the original creep show movies father's day and mm, oh my god literally I love them all but father's day and like Jordy Verrill with the crab grass so (laughs) so iconic those light those one-liners are so good and I just love every time that the characters have those comic book slash Ashes behind yeah. them and stuff. So cool. Those dramatic moments. So like their faces, that eighties hokey stuff. Oh, it's my fa- it's my favorite. And I love that they're doing that in the new creep show series. Yes. Yeah. Like so good. Yeah, they it's do a really, really good job. So good. What about mazes? Like the first time you ever went to a haunt. So, Obviously it affected you very right. deeply. Oh my gosh, the haunts. Yeah. Reign of Terror in yes. Thousand Oaks oh, yeah. changed yeah. my yeah. life forever. That's great. That changed my life forever. That was literally the first haunt I ever did. Wow. I was instantly like, this is what I want to do. Like, I need to have a Reign of Terror of my own. And I actually was an actor at Reign of Terror for a little while. Oh, nice. cool. But it was Reign of Terror and Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Studios. So I've definitely grown up with some of the like best haunts in my opinion in the business and knots scary farm as well but that was sort of i judged knots like really hard compared to horror nights because i was just such a huge fan of halloween horror nights growing up the haunt that changed my life forever though i will say is the house of horrors that used to be at universal studios yeah it's like year round right it used to be permanent year round attraction (laughs) the classic monsters changed my life like so sad it's forever i was heartbroken and they replaced it you know with walking dead which i actually ended up being a scare actor for for like a year i worked for universal and it was great it was exhausting working like in a year-round haunted house like (laughs) it was crazy especially having to wear like a silicone mask every day oh my gosh it was a lot those haunts changed my life forever universal studios just the professionalism the approach that they take with their audio game their storytelling the event in orlando really is just on top of it and in my opinion the best there is in the world you were just there recently i was just there so what is so different between the one in orlando versus the one here technically i think the things that are different like the teams there are giant the creative teams that they have there So there's just, you can tell there's a lot more put into it because there's more people involved, I think. And I think the attention to detail there is just more like Disney. It feels more like a Disney event, in my opinion, just in the detail of it all. The accuracy to like the films that they do, the 
I just geek out over everything. It's not necessarily like it's scarier there, but it is just there's more. There's more material. I feel like in the event here, it's more structured. The mazes are more literal. They take way more of, I would say, like a home haunt approach in Orlando with how they design their sets and their costumes. Everything just feels more like crafted. Everything here feels a little bit like rented and like structured and feels like they're going to tear it down, you know, like in a month, Mm -hmm. which they are. But in Orlando, they feel like permanent houses that have been worked on for like years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Do they have more more space to work with there too in Orlando? They do. They do have more space. They have sound stages or more like event parade buildings that they do their haunts in. So they have more controlled environments, I would say, than Hollywood has tents that they do all their haunts in. So that's kind of like the one like setback, of course. They do have more room in Orlando for sure. To you, what makes a great haunt? What are the elements that brings a haunt over the top? I think storytelling is like the number one thing because a haunt without storytelling and characters that have a purpose I feel like without that, you're kind of just walking through like whatever, you know, the scenes don't really have a purpose. If it's just one environment to another and they're not tied together, definitely the story is like the most important thing. Once you have a good story, then you can build on the environments and the characters and then add like the effects, which are like really my favorite part of haunts and like Disney rides and theater in general are just like the the effects, the fog machines and just the lighting and audio triggers that Halloween Horror Nights uses are very creative, especially in Orlando. You know, I definitely favor that event. For instance, you're in a haunted house and a character like will jump out at you and just go like raw and like scream in your face. And then, you know, kind of retreat back into their hide and you're like, oh, okay, that kind of got me. But, you know, they were kind of just yelling at me, you know, and it's kind of harder for the actor to like repeat that scream every now and then, you know. Well, with the more theatrical approach, you have just like that sound bite that plays when the actor comes out. Sometimes it is like a loud crash or sometimes it's more of like a musical tone or it's like a Foley sound, you know, those effects take it over the top. It's just adding in those audio effects to make it like a real production like a stage production yeah if you're on stage and an actor does something if it's like a really almost like campy production and an actor makes a movement you know like slap someone there's going to be a slap sound effect right you know that's definitely like the approach that i take with haunts is adding in those effects they're super super important getting those sound bites and the, those lighting cues so definitely like cueing in effects are super important in in my haunts specifically do you think universal in Orlando has a better grasp on line control because I feel like here I love going so many people right but there's so many people and sometimes you get lumped in and then Uh the scares are ruined because you're like in the wrong place totally well it's interesting is like at your haunts the trick-or-treat one you make sure like oh two people in at a time okay and you wait you know you don't see anybody behind you or in front of you you don't get the scare ruined it's so hard for theme parks to space out their crowds because they're just awful like crowds are just crazy now like busier than ever so no orlando like definitely has the same problem if not worse orlando they really funnel people into their haunts at universal but it's still effective to me 
I still enjoy it. Yeah. You can still get certain scares because they pack in more scares in the Orlando haunts. So you're still getting like fresh scares and not getting it ruined for you. But I would say looking at it very like technical since I've been to both events, the Orlando event has worse crowd control than the Hollywood one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The Hollywood one, like if you walk slower, you will get a lot of scares. That's that's my trick. (laughs) That Lord just stopped dead in the maze. Everyone's like, what's going on? Or I'll like pretend that's tie my shoe I'm like oh, yeah. I gotta tie uh-huh. my shoe oh now we're gonna get scared totally yeah in Orlando they funnel you through yeah so it's a lot Murder House Productions was started not only as a company that does home haunts but the very nature of the name hints that it can be even more than that so what are some of the other Gosh. things that you have brewing in your head mm-hmm. that you guys get into yeah literally Murder House Productions I literally started it so it would be sort of a more generic name I didn't want it to be like what like I was gonna do you know something like haunt you know yeah. something that ended in the word haunt that kind of just like pigeonholes us a little bit other things like I kind of say that we're a theatrical production company so one day I will absolutely put on plays and yes. musicals nice. and ones written by ourselves of course but also like musicals I've always dreamt of doing Little Shop of Horrors Sweet. Um, little, like I want to I know I need to do like a Little Shop of Horrors production and like Carrie the musical is a thing oh wow oh, that's cool but I kind of want to like rewrite it but <laughs> <laughs> but no uh, yeah I dream of doing more like pop-up events and just having more of like a place where people can like come and just like do their art express themselves like, that'd be great if Murder House Productions one day was just like a big facility where a haunt that don't have a lot of money or resources could come and like learn and get inspired and sort of like collaborate together. So Murder House Productions, it's definitely not just like a little home haunt. I right. definitely have bigger dreams for it, for sure. That's oh, so that's exciting. That's so awesome. Yeah, I hope. So what can you tell us about the Wendigo maze, the maze for this year? Right, Wendigo. Ha ha ha. So <laughs> it's based on the like lore and legend, of course, of the Wendigo, which is like a flesh eating monster that was born in like Native American lore that possesses people sort of so that's kind of our take on it is that this one wendigo is actually a spirit that possesses people to eat other people (laughs) and so we kind of took yeah so i loved the lore and legend especially like pet cemetery has the wendigo in it Mm -hmm. and like I loved, I really liked the new movie and I loved how you never saw the Wendigo. That's kind of like in our attraction. You never see that giant beastly Wendigo, but you see all of the creatures that it has possessed. So Wendigo is sort of plural in our haunts and our Wendigo are sort of like this race of like flesh eating monsters that come out during the full moon that feast on animals and humans and also the spirit of the Wendigo comes to possess a lucky soul. <laughs> and so it's all set in like uh, the Appalachian like woods near in North America. So you're going to be going through like caves and camps and a wow. campsite. And then we have this giant barn scene as the finale. We were very close to doing actually the haunt that we did last year. We were going to do it again and give it the second chapter that I thought it deserved. So a lot of the environments from last year's Resurrection, which was an original haunt, are in this Wendigo 
attraction as well. But they're all like amplified like crazy. So nice. bloodier than ever, smellier than ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's love, right. You do. You put smells in. in oh, I remember I in the trick or treat, the they had the trees, mm, the forest would smell. There's yeah. candy. Pine, oh my God, the pine smell. Yeah, yeah candy so smell, good. of course. So we have a little nastier smells this year. Nice. <laughs> because oh, no. it's bloody and gory and death doesn't smell good. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to quickly talk about Mm -hmm. your love of the attraction, the Tower of Terror. Stop. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) You love the Tower of Terror. I love the Tower of Terror so much. It's my everything. Like, how do you know that? Well, on your Uh, Instagram, I did. You're tattooed. That's that's right. (laughs) My tattoo on my arm. Yep. Tower of Terror. HTH for life. I'm, my God, that changed my life. Going on that ride when I was younger opened me up to like, I think scary things. Like in general, I've always loved like witches and the dark parts of like, everything honestly i've always loved halloween and decorating you know my parents house they always used to let me decorate outside and stuff but the horror thing inside of me like really unlocked when i went on the tower of terror for the first time there was just something about it the drama of it all and just like the theatricalness the disney of it oh my god it would oh i have no words for just like how it makes me feel it is just like it's just this wholesome like it has such a sentiment meaning to me the whole ride it's so much more than a ride if you say the words guardians of the galaxy (laughs) i will flee any room (laughs) i was gonna i mean i was gonna ask how 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 sad like that's I like didn't think it was real for a while. I heard rumors. Yeah. Yeah. It was just they literally the first thing they posted about it was the concept art. And they were just like, hi there. This is what it's going to look like. Oh, and it's not going to be Tower of Terror anymore. (sighs) I know it was heartbroken. Absolutely heartbroken. It was so weird. I was like, this is a nightmare that I've had my whole life. Sure. They're doing it all over the world, though. Like, it's kind of weird. Like, they just changed the one that was a replica, actually, of the one here in Paris. They changed it. So now it's different. They added different storylines and different effects. And it was literally a replica of the one here. Right, so it was a way to revisit. And I was like, okay, one day I can go there and go on it again. It's it's not dead. It's still alive. But they changed it all now. But it's still the Tower of Terror. It's just different effects and sure. stuff. It was hard. It what was a, so hard when it got taken away. Oh, goodness. Is it the one in Florida that people have told me is vastly different, they say. Different. But, and some people enjoy it even more than the one they that do. was here. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the one in Florida? The one in Florida is very outdated. Okay. It's a 90s ride. It was the first one, right? They, they did the first original. one there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, oh my gosh, it's the best one technically because it just has the most detail, the most authenticity in it. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful ride, but it's hokier because the audio isn't updated at all. Sure. The lighting isn't. It's so a lot of it is definitely not as, yeah, just not as advanced as the one here was. There is a giant scene, however, that sets it apart from the one that was here entirely where you go forward in the elevator. That's cool. Oh, really shit. cool. Yeah. You actually leave the elevator shaft and everyone who's been on that knows that, yeah, you go through the fifth dimension. Oh, that's yeah. cool. It's wow. really, really cool. So that's why everyone likes the ride more is because of that one scene. But I think that ride needs a little tweaking, you know, because it's a 90s ride. So right. you get that 90s 
feel, which is great. I mean, that's there's nothing wrong with 90s, but it's just a little hokier. Did you see the 90s movie? The, yeah. The Tower of Terror with the Steve Gutenberg and totally. Kristen Dunst. Came out the year I was born. Really? LOL. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I read that's actually the first movie that Disney did based on an attraction. Oh, was the Tower of Terror. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, which I didn't know. Yeah, it's a little, you know, ramshackle of a movie, but it's it's adorable. Sure. It's hokey. It's so cute. <laughs> I, of course, watched it like a million times. Yeah. But I'm still just like, no, that's not it. That's the Twilight Zone. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Right? Speaking yeah. of Twilight Zone, just a couple months ago, you were cosplaying. Oh, my God. And I mean, this cosplay costume you had on is was like... Insane. You, it's insane. I mean, it's insane. Oh it's like God. cosplay of the year. You won that award. <gasps> oh like, my seriously. God! Ex- yep. Explain explain what it was because it's yep. a black and white character you created. Uh-huh. I was the character from Eye of the Beholder, the one in the hospital bed with the bandages on her face. But it was as if the surgery went well, and she actually gets the face that everyone else in the in the episode <laughs> has the pig face. You know. So I was walking around. That was amazing. I was walking around. Drag Con, actually RuPaul's Drag Con, which right. is such a fabulous event. Oh, magic. You really feel like you can be anyone there. Like everyone. I think more than any other convention I've ever been to, that is the one where the most people dress up, I think. So I've cool. only been to like the horror ones pretty right. much. Like I've never been to like Comic Con. I'm sure that's where they all dress up. But yeah, it was so crazy. Everyone wanted to take pictures. Yeah, I saw like thousands of photos of people <laughs> with you. People were like, oh my God, are you Janet Tyler from the Eye of the Beholder <laughs> episode of the Twilight Zone. I'm like, yeah, like, how do you know that? Are you as crazy as me? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Tons of people knew it, too. They were like, got it. That's freaking great. Because yes. your whole body Grayscale. was like, yeah, great. It's like watching yep. the black and white TV yeah. screen. Right. Yeah, exactly. exactly <laughs> yeah, right. brought into Didn't the modern that. world. It was all black and white. I just painted my whole body gray. And did like darker contouring to make it look like, yeah, black and white. Yeah, that was incredible. That's amazing. Who did we just talked to that said they saw, it was a prop person, the original nose? <gasps> uh, I, I don't yeah. know who that was. I remember Yeah, it was up for auction. It was, was, the, uh, oh, it was pro, uh, one of the auction houses prop, yeah. that we had. Prop store or profiles yeah, yeah. in history, one of the two. Yeah, the actual, yeah. The oh actual prosthetic. Gosh. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. <laughs> that prosthetic's iconic. That's oh, crazy. God. Tell everybody the days of operation of uh, Wendigo right. this year. So we open October 16th and then... And we run for three weeks. So okay. on the weekends. So we run the 16th and then we run that Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And then the same thing next week. We run Friday, Saturday, Sunday and then 30th and 31st. Nice. Okay. So are, there, are there hours? Nine nights from 7 to 10 p.m. The line will close at 10 p.m. So if you get there at 10 p.m., you can still go through and we'll open the queue at like 630 as well. And yeah, I wouldn't recommend young children it's a very scary one this year very yes. loud sounds we have some special effects to some water effects nice for the first time nice. so that's really exciting <laughs> and it's free and it's free absolutely Woo-hoo! yes it's 100 percent free and if you want to dm us you can get front of the line tickets for free as well like we're just going to give them out to people who who care and you can also get our t-shirts as well if you buy one of our mhp shirts which i'm wearing right now yes i want one so bad i want one too you have to go we have like t-shirts and tank tops and hoodies if you get those you get front of the line all night if you just show your receipt if you show us your receipt you know like on instagram or something we'll send you a little front of the line ticket that you can just go through like all night if nice. you want because you're gonna want to go through the 
haunt more than once. There's a lot of detail that wow. you don't want to miss. And you are revolutionizing the home haunt. Yeah, that's yes. for sure. Yeah. I've never even seen a home haunt that has front of line. It's amazing. Yeah. That's so great. We were talking about yeah. this the other day. Yeah. We were just yeah. extra. <laughs> yeah, literally. That's amazing. Well, Aurora, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank it's been you an for absolute having pleasure. Me in this oh my God. Wonderland. Yes. Thank oh you. my God. No, you're the one who supplies a wonderland. Yeah. <laughs> oh <my laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. We can't wait. Yes. Thank you guys so much. Oh my God. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 74. Special thanks to our guest, Tobias Forge from Ghost and Aurora from Murder House Productions. Follow Ghost at the band Ghost on Instagram and Twitter. The ultimate tour named Death continues its reign on North America and Europe throughout the rest of the fall and winter. Visit ghost-official.com. Follow Aurora and Murder House Productions at MHP Haunt on Instagram and Twitter. And don't forget to check out her latest haunt, Windigo. If you're in the SoCal area this Halloween season and listening to this at time of release, open select nights from Wednesday, October 16th. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying, see you on the other side. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shand, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tahada. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye! A Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy for disturbing and terrifying creepypastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.